Great, please do sit down. It'd be good if you could open up the uh, passage we just had read, so that's Exodus 3, page uh, 59. That would be great if you could open that up, page 59. Shall we pray? Uh, Lord God, we do uh, thank you that you are a God that uh, wants to reveal yourself to us. You want to show us uh, who you are. And Lord, this morning through this passage, we ask that you would uh, show us more of who you are, that we may grasp the great, the awesome, the loving, the personal relationship God that you are, and that we would be drawn to put our trust in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you talk to someone about um, God or uh, religion, there's a phrase that people often come up with, they often use. Uh, when you're in that conversation. It's something like this. I like to think of God as... And then you kind of fill in, fill in the blank, don't you? So accepting, kind, lover of golf, on my side, um, a force, so on, whatever it is. It's a kind of way of saying, uh, this is my preferred picture of God. This, this is how I think of him. This is who he is uh, to me. And if you think about it, that is... Quite an irrational way, quite a strange way of, uh, well, a strange thing to do. So if I say about Will, I like to think of Will as disorganised, <laughs> or wise, uh, or funny, or thoughtful. It doesn't mean very much, because I've decided uh, what, what Will is like. I think of him a certain way. It may or may not be true. It may have nothing to do with what he's really like. And just because we think something is true, of course, it doesn't make it uh, true. It's also a strange thing, isn't it, if you think about it, in terms of the relationship that can follow uh, from that kind of thinking. What meaningful relationship can follow if that's, that's how you think? If I've decided the sorts of things Will would say, or not say, or do or not do, I've defined who Will is the person kind of becomes a piece of sort of Play-Doh, don't they, in my hand. I shape them, I mould them as I wish. You're like this. There can't be, surely, a meaningful relationship in that situation. Because that person, well, they can't, they can't surprise us anymore. They can't contradict me. They, they can't do something I don't want because I've decided who they are. They've become the picture that I have painted. So the question is, isn't it, do we let God define himself to us on his terms, or do we dictate to him what we think that he is like? That is the question. And here here in Exodus 3, we've got Moses meeting with God, and God defines who he is. So we need to listen, don't we, and we need to learn from this encounter. We've seen in the first two chapters of Exodus that God's people, they've been increasing in number, uh, just as God had promised, but they're in slavery uh, in the foreign land of Egypt, and we've seen that their state is something of a picture uh, for us, of our spiritual state, when people are slaves under sin, living in the kingdom of darkness. And the salvation, the rescue that comes in the book of Exodus is a real physical salvation out of the land of slavery and into another land. But it is also a picture of the salvation that can can come to us, is offered to us, 
for us to go into God's kingdom from the kingdom of darkness. That is why the book of Exodus is relevant for us today. And we've just started to see God work in the life of, of Moses, who was going to be used to rescue God's people. But Moses' leadership, it was rejected uh, by God's people. God's, God starts to work, and the people, they reject him. They reject Moses' leadership. And yet, at the end of chapter 2, verse 24, what are we told? End of chapter 2, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. God has not turned his back. And so we arrive at chapter 3, and chapter 3 happens because God is faithful. God is faithful uh, to his promises. Moses meets God, and he is commissioned with the task of rescuing his people. And this chapter, it kind of sets the agenda uh, for the rest of the book of Exodus. Moses meets God, and he is taught and reminded about who God is. I think this is a fascinating account, isn't it? In in verse 1, Moses is getting on with what would have been an ordinary day, tending to the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, but then something extraordinary happens. The angel of the Lord appears in flames from within a bush, but the the bush is, is on fire, but it's not burning up, it's staying intact. Weird. Moses is intrigued, so he wanders over to take a look. God sees him and he calls to him, Moses, Moses. And so do you see the conversation, the conversation starts. Conversation of great detail for us and it has a profound effect on Moses. So what does Moses learn about God during this conversation? I think first Moses learns that God is an awesome God. He's an awesome God. Do you notice the first thing that God says to Moses? Basically, it's stop. Do not come any closer at verse 5. That's close enough, says God. Yeah, Moses is curious. Yet he can't just casually wander up to God. There's there's a, a sense of danger here. Fire is dangerous. As so often in the book of Exodus, God here is symbolized by fire. What is the second thing that that God says? Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. There's a sense of caution here. This is the first time in the Bible that the word holy, holy appears. It means being different, being cut off, being distinct, set apart. This is not your average piece of mountain scrub. God is there, and so the ground is holy. The ground itself is not special, but God is present, and that changes everything. Look at the third thing that God says, verse 6. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. In his great sermon... In Acts 7, Stephen, when recalling these, these events, he says that Moses trembled 
with fear. He trembled with, with fear. Moses meets an awesome God. He burns with fire. He's set apart. You can't come too close. You can't get too casual. I wonder, is that part of your picture of God? Have you ever heard people say this? We should remember that God is God Almighty, not God Almighty. You heard that phrase? It kind of, I cringe when I hear that. But actually, it, it is on the money, isn't it? It's, it's, it's right what that is driving at. It is right for us to have some sort of a sense of fear about God. A sense of needing to fall to the ground, of bowing uh, before him. So when you think of God, what sort of words enter your mind? Do, do the words awesome, fire, holy, trembling, bowing, those sorts of words, do they feature? I think if not, then, then, then we've not really grasped the picture of God that is right. We're not thinking of God as he truly is. Moses is taught that God is an awesome God. But second, Moses is taught that God is the personal, caring God. The personal, caring God. Do you see in verse 7, verse 7, the three things that God has said he's done? Three things in verse 7. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. God has seen, he's heard, and he's concerned. God knows what the people are going through. And he feels, he feels passionately for them. God is not indifferent to the plight and suffering of people. Yes, he is the awesome creator God. He is the transcendent God, but he is also the personal God who sees, who hears, who cares. The God with a heart, we could say. He's a God of personal relationships, isn't he? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, the God who enters into a relationship with them. He makes promises to them that, that flow down to their descendants. These are the people he cares about. He's looking on. He's concerned about. He never forgets. He's never indifferent. I think ideas about God, they, they tend to go, don't they, in one of, one of two directions. One kind of emphasises God's transcendence. God is almighty. He is awesome. He's above all things. And the other emphasises, well, no, God is close and he's personal. And we've got to understand that. The true biblical God is both. He's both of those things. The biblical God is awesome above us. And he is personal close to us. And we've got to hold both of those ideas together. If we have no awe and no sense of trembling, then surely we've lost something. But if we've got no reassurance about his care, about his love for us, about our security in his love, well, well, then we've lost something as well. It's not an either-or. It's a, it's a both-and. 
I guess we can lose that balance, can't we, in different ways at, at different times. But, but I do wonder, is the danger for us, perhaps, that we have a tendency to lose sight of the awesome nature of God, the almighty God? Does God sometimes just become a bit too God almighty? So we lose sight of, of his holiness, his awesomeness, his majesticness, perhaps in our attitude of prayer, perhaps in some of the, the balance of music that, that comes out of a lot of the church these days, perhaps in the God that we present to, to our friends and our family, the, the God that we decide that, yeah, we quite like to have a relationship with him. We just discount the, the awesome, almighty God from that picture. Moses learns, doesn't he, that God is an awesome God, but that he is a personal and a caring God as well. But, but finally, and I think most significantly, Moses learns here that God is the faithful, rescuing God. He's a faithful, rescuing God. Just look at verse 8. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. We see in Exodus, don't we, that, that salvation or rescue, is, it, it always has a from and a to. It's always a from and a to. It's always salvation from something to something. So in chapter 1, we saw that it was uh, salvation from slavery to Pharaoh, not just to be free, but so that the people could serve God. It's salvation from slavery to Pharaoh to service uh, to God. And here in chapter 3, it's salvation out of the land of oppression in Egypt. Not just to be free to kind of get on a flight and go on holiday somewhere, but, but to, to go into the land where God has promised that he will be. It's a picture, isn't it, of God's kingdom uh, for us. So the promise to be transferred out out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his glorious son, Jesus Christ. God is saying, I will be faithful to that promise. I will do it. Verse 10, so now go, verse 10, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. You can see, can't you, at this point in the conversation, Moses is thinking, well, okay, Fine, but steady on a bit. Kind of, this is big stuff. Now, I need a bit more detail here about what's going on. And so do you see that he asks two questions of God? Two questions. The first question is the who am I question. Verse 11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He's saying, kind of, you know, what qualifications do I have? How can I possibly confront Pharaoh? How does God respond, verse 12? I will be with you. I will be with you. You're right, Moses, you can't do it. It's not about you. It's about me, says God. I make all the difference. And how do you know I will do it? When it's worked. That's what he's saying, when it has worked. Funny kind of logic. But that's what God says. You'll know I will do it when it's worked. When you are back here one day on this mountain, worshipping God with my people. 
God is saying, trust me as the faithful, rescuing God. My promises do not have a shelf life. I never forget. I've said I will do it, and I will do it. I will deliver. That's the who am I question. Moses' second question is the who are you question, verse 13. Who are you? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Do you think that's a bit of an odd question? seems a bit of an odd question, because we've already had God identify who he is, the God of Abraham and so forth. So this must be more than just an identity question. There's got to be something a bit deeper going on in what Moses is asking here. I think Moses' deeper question is this. It is that, how do we know you can do it? Question. How do we know you can do it? A person's name for the Israelites was important. It it, it was part of their essence, their character, their authority. It went to those things. They've just had 400 years of slavery. God seems to have pretty much been absent. So Moses is, is asking, well, who shall I say shall do this? What name shall I give? What sort of God are you? Isn't God's reply intriguing? Verse 14, I am who I am. Or as a footnote puts it, I will be what I will be. Say, I am has sent me to you. And then God goes on to describe himself, did you notice, as the Lord, the Lord, from verse 15. Apparently the Hebrew word for the Lord is very closely related to the phrase, I am who I am. It kind of embodies everything about that phrase in that one, that one word. Someone's put it like this. Think of someone in a red van uh, arriving to your house to deliver letters. You could say, this is the person who delivers post to my home. Or you could say, this is the postman. That's what's going on here. They're kind of making the same point. One is an abbreviation. God is saying, I will reveal something of myself. I am who I am. I will be what I will be. I am the Lord. There's been a lot of debate about the meaning um, of these words. They, they seem quite circular, don't they? Devoid of content. What is God saying here? Well, I think the context to, to these words surely is key. Because the context has been the rescue of God's people from Egypt. It is talked about before this description God gives of himself, and it's reiterated afterwards for, for the rest of the chapter. So it is it as if, I think, God is saying, all of these events, this rescue, they will show me to be the Lord, that I am who I am. You will see that I am the one through all that I do. And the point of this name is that you will see who I am by what I do. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. You will see me through what I do for you. And so do you see, for the remainder of this chapter, God talks about what he will do. 
So so Moses is to go and tell the elders uh, of the promise of rescue, verses 16 and 17. They will go to the king of Egypt, uh, verse 18, but, verse 19, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. God is saying, you will see me as the almighty God over Pharaoh. The one who defeats his forces. He will show himself to be that God. And his name is the Lord. The I am And the Lord, the I am, it is always to be linked to these events. It sums up all that God is because of what he has done. This this is the defining moment where you will say, I know who God is. That is why God says, isn't it, in verse 15, this is my name forever. The name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. This is the same name that Jesus uh, used when he entered uh, the world in his ministry. When people ask Jesus, you know, who are you? What authority uh, do you have? How does, how does Jesus reply on occasion? Before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Jesus became incarnate in order to rescue. He came to die to rescue people from slavery to sin, to bring people out of the kingdom of darkness into his glorious kingdom of light. He came to triumph over the forces, not of Pharaoh, but of evil. And all of this happens not through the death of a Passover lamb, but through his own death. On the cross, his death and his resurrection. So so we can look, can't we, at Jesus, what he has done, and we can say, I know who God is. I know who God is because I see Jesus. The cross supremely shows us what he is like. If we want to know who God is, We only have to look at the cross and the empty tomb. And if we want a name to sum it all all up, what is the name that sums it all up? It's Jesus Christ. God is so often not what we would like to think that he is. He is more awesome, more holy, more loving, more caring, more compassionate and more faithful than we so often in our minds believe. If we want to see what God is like, we look at Jesus Christ, where he showed himself to us. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for, uh, for this passage, Lord, for this encounter between um, Moses and God. Lord, and for the... Uh, just a great model, uh, the rescue is in Exodus of your people, of the rescue that 
that you have opened for us in Jesus Christ, from the kingdom of darkness uh, to the kingdom of light. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God, a dependable God, a God who never changes, who never forgets his promises. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to take those truths deeper into our hearts, that we may uh, live out lives that show that truth in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.